Uh, yeah, because we're going to talk a lot about death today and then what happens to it. So glad you could be with us and, and learn about that and follow through with the Word of God. And um, just a quick update, personal update. I know um, many of you have been asking about how my wife Trish is doing. Uh, she did have a minor foot surgery. It was all outpatient. It was all planned. It wasn't an emergency or anything on Friday. So that's how she celebrated her birthday is having surgery. And so she's home. Uh, she has to stay off her foot through today. And then she'll be able to, she has a boot and everything she'll be wearing and so forth. But it's all fine. Everything went well. And hopefully she could wear closed-toed shoes a little more comfortably uh, when, when all this is healed up and done. So, but thank you all for praying for her and, and uh, um, just pray that she can sit, uh, which if you know Trish is not easy. Um, we're going to deal with something, again, very dark today. It is something that is, is in total called the fall. It is a, a, the darkest day in all of human history. It, and I say day, but really it, the actual moment probably lasted five, ten minutes. It wasn't that long. But I want to kind of give us an illustration of how to think about this. All right, if, For example, you, you know, how much can go wrong on a car? right? And, you know, it's, it's no fun when you go out to, you know, you're late for an appointment, you go out there, and sure enough, your tire's flat, right? And there's that frustration of dealing with that. That's, that's a big thing, but it's not un- insurmountable. But I have, I've had actually had a couple cars that have blown head gaskets. And if you know what that means, that's what they call in mechanical terms, bad. Um, <laughs> That's that that I mean you're thinking of I mean you're thinking of thousands of dollars of repairs, lots of time. It's get, it's gotten a lot harder as cars have gotten more complicated. Uh, it it's it's one of those things where you start thinking of okay, can I buy a new one? That's how bad a head gasket issue is. I've had them where they still kind of ran. Uh, the, you know they would you know. Oh, they would overheat the oil and the water, and they you know would mix, and it's just a mess. Uh, but imagine thinking, oh, you know, being discouraged about the flat tire when really you're burning oil and overheating with a bad head gasket. You gotta you gotta kind of put those in perspective. Yes, at some point you need to deal with the tire, but the big issue that you that you have with your car is the head gasket. When it comes to sin, and what we also call the original sin. That's the head gasket. That's really, really bad. It's not that the tire, flat tire is good. It's just that we have to put these things in perspective of, of our life and how they, uh, we deal with those. Human being, humanity has been trying to think of all the different ways to fix this sin. It's never been completely fixed. There are things that we can do to kind of help deal with this. I guess we would say the symptoms of the sin. Uh, we, have, we have fought wars to kill bad guys. So you get people like Hitler, and we've, you know, we went to war with many other nations, and then, and then another, you know, another bad guy or, or leader rises up as well. So there's always someone. Uh, imagine the trillions and trillions of dollars that have been spent to deal with human sin. Uh, even, even here in our building, there's a reason why we've invested in locks and largely lights uh, to uh, uh, 
that, you know, we just don't want the light on in the middle of the night. We do it because there are bad people, because there's sin, and we need to do things to help protect uh, our, our building and, and others as well, in governments and everything that people have done to help deal with sin. We, we pass laws because sometimes the only thing you can do to help keep sin at bay is to promise to punish people if they do something, from, from a speeding ticket to, of course, murder. Education's another way we've tried to deal with that. I remember in high school, it was a big thing of, of trying to do something about uh, teen pregnancies. And so someone said, hey, all we have to do is educate kids about birth control. That's all we, we just, they just need education. Well, pregnancies went up <laughs> when, when they were educating them about that. So and I'm, not, I'm not saying education, of course, is wrong. It's good to know uh, things, and people do respond uh, to things that they know, hopefully avoiding things, but it's not the ultimate answer. Nonprofits and agencies arise to try to deal with things. We have medicines uh, and treatments in order to deal with the, uh, the physical sufferings that we have, but it doesn't it doesn't always answer the why question. Uh, and that is, why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Uh, and that's frustrating and it's hard to answer. It's not the question that I like hearing. Um, but however, we do have the solution and we'll get into that. But why are the world, are things so bad? The rest, if you don't get this, the rest of the Bible doesn't always make a lot of sense because it, the, 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 the cure for the fall, for this sin, is the rest of the Bible story from Genesis chapter 4 all the way to the end of, Revela of Revelation. So it is an important chapter. Now, last week we saw, just as a review, God made the garden, put Adam and Eve in there. They had one rule, I should say, one don't. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's actually two important trees, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then the tree of life and then a whole bunch of other treats. But those were the only ones that were named. It says, now did God say, well, why? Did he tell them why they shouldn't do that? No. It was one of those things as a parent, because I said so. And that should have been good enough. Remember, remember we looked at God as creator. We are creatures. And it should be good enough for the maker to make the rules. Um, we, we don't know. We could speculate. Perhaps the knowledge of good and evil was, a, was something bad for them, and God wanted to protect them. Could have been that. Uh, it could have been just giving the opportunity to choose. Remember, they're in a garden. Everything is perfect. There's not a lot they could do wrong, except for this one rule. And so it was a, it was a matter of giving them kind of a test, so to speak. We do this when, when your mechanic changes your brakes. Now, mechanics, I mean, after a while, they have, how, many, how many times have they replaced brake shoes and rotors and everything? They know what they're doing, but you know what they still do? They still test them to make sure that the brakes work, even though they're 99.9% .9 sure they're just fine but they test them. Well, Adam and Eve needed an opportunity to be tested. Otherwise, they're just kind of tricked into obedience. Uh, it may be, it may be that later God was going to offer them a chance to eat it themselves. If they would have passed the test, as they would have gone through life. And by the way, we don't know how long it took Adam and Eve to eat of that tree from the time they were created. 
It could have been a day. It could have been a hundred years. Uh, we know some time has passed because in Genesis 2, we see the story of Adam taking time to name the animals. So it should have been maybe a few months, but it could have been, been a thousand years for all we know that um, they, were, uh, they had until they actually were tempted to eat from that one tree, to disobey God on that. Um, but, but, but it could have been a time where God said, okay, now, Adam and Eve, I now give you permission to eat of this tree. Uh, and as an example for that, uh, when our kids are little, we keep, for example, knives away from them for obvious reasons. Well, there's going to be a time where you're going to say to your little son or daughter, okay, now you can use a knife. You stop. Hopefully by the time they're you know, 24, you stop cutting their steak for them. All right, but, but, now, but now they reach the point where they, they are trusted with that. And maybe God would have done that. Unfortunately, we don't know. It's a lot of what ifs. All right, so we're going to cover a lot of ground today. Going to go a little bit quickly uh, just to get the whole picture in here. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to look at the serpent. Uh, and we know from Revelation that this is really, again, it's, it's a snake or a dragon-like creature. But there is a, um, Satan is speaking through him. Uh, the book of Revelation teaches us that. Uh, Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Let's just a second here. Just point out. Remember last week we saw there's creator. God's in a set all by himself. And then everyone else is creatures. Satan's a creature. He's not creator. Although he's very powerful, he's a creature as well, like us. He said to the woman... Did God actually say or really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, Eve responds, and because she's now she's at a point where she has a choice. And and she knows chapter and verse. Look at verse six. Uh, oh, I actually skipped a whole page. Ah. The adversary is, again, as I said, a creature like us. He's smarter. He's more experienced. But his first tactic, there's about five tactics he does where he says, first of all, let's, let's doubt God's word. Did he, re- did he really say? Now, it's also kind of sneaky that he focuses on the one restriction, the one do not, instead of pointing out all the other trees they could eat from and all that they get to do and live in Eden at the time. He focuses on the restriction rather than all the liberty and freedom that they already have. So now here's our answer. Thank you. Here we go. Verse 2. And the woman says to the serpent, we may eat of the uh, fruit of the trees in uh, the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. All right. She quotes it. Now there are just so we, we're clear and a little bit of backstory. There are some people that are a little critical of Eve at this point because if you go back to chapter two in Genesis, it doesn't include the phrase "neither shall we touch it." And so some are some are a little critical of Eve. Well, she's adding to it. She's adding to what God commanded. Well, first of all, she wasn't there originally. She wasn't created yet when that command was given. It was given really probably through Adam. 
So when Eve was created, Adam said, oh, by the way, we're not supposed to go near that tree. And they and they're probably could have just been very, very careful. And so, you know what? You know what? Let's not even touch the thing, much less eat it. Uh, and, you know, you know, you know, we are as when we were growing up and as kids and our parents says, don't touch that. And we do this, you know, just to be a little sneaky. So people are kind of critical of Eve, meaning she changed the, she changed God's word. I have a little trouble with that because she, she's not fallen yet. She's still in a pre-fallen state. Uh, I'm just, again, you might read that or come across that. I, I'm inclined to give her a little slack. Perhaps she was just being careful. But here comes Satan's second tactic is he calls God a liar. Verse 4, but the serpent said to this woman, you will not surely die. Just flat out contradiction. Uh, And trying to put this doubt into her mind. Then he gets on to the third tactic and actually fourth and fifth one in verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve, Eve, come here. Let me just, let me, let me tell you a little secret, a little inside baseball, Eve. God's holding something back from you. It's really cool. He, he's holding this. He's hoarding it himself. He, oh, he if he were honest with you, Eve, he would, he would tell you that you'll know good and evil and you'll be so smart, you'll be so wise. And by the way, you look lovely today. A lot of things going on there. Uh, it, and he really, when you think about it objectively, if she, she were to stop and say, wait a minute, he gave me life, he gave me this garden, he gave me my husband, he gave me... A, this wonderful task to help manage everything. And he's like, no, nah, that just doesn't sound like him. If you just think of it a little objectively. But he does in his fourth tactic ap- appeal to her pride. You'll be like God. You know, you're, you're entitled. You deserve this. This would be good for you. And finally, he mixes truth with lie. This is his fifth tactic. Because he says, if you, Eve, eat of this tree you'll have the knowledge of good and evil. That part was true. That part was true. God admits it in, in chapter three twenty-two. later on. He says, man, now look, they now know what good and evil is. It wasn't his intention, at least at that time. Well, Eve responds. She has this choice, and she starts to think the wheels are starting to turn in verse 6. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Hmm. Hmm. And that it was a delight to the eyes. Ooh, that looks nice. And that the tree was desired to make one wise. Oh, I'll be smart. I'll be so wise. And she took of the fruit and she ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, standing there like a bonehead. And he ate. We'll get back to that. But let's talk about temptation. Temptation looks like a good idea. It looks like a good idea. Even this week, I had a, just this flash of a temptation in my mind. And for, for just a second or two, it sounded like such a good idea. 
This would make me happy. This would make me fulfilled. This, will, this, this is what I really, really want out of life. And then if I would have carried it out, my whole life would have been ruined. Just, just a, a fleeting thought. We think we're going to be better off if we ignore God's commands. And really, when we do that, when we ignore God's commands, pick your command. Love one another. Tell the truth. Um, uh, be kind to one another. Pick whatever command you want. When we say we're going to do something else, forgive one another, when we say, no, I'm not going to follow that, we're saying God's a liar. We're saying he doesn't know what uh, um, is best for us. And it's easy for us to be hard on Adam and Eve, but we could do the same thing. We do the same thing. We know what God says and we ignore it. I love this phrase. Maybe you've heard it too. I know I've used it. Here it is. You ready? I know it's wrong, but. You ever hear that? You ever say that? That's when we're admitting we know, we know God gave us that command, but. Uh, we have other reasons why we're going to disobey. If we disobey, we're concluded, as I said, he lies. It is a trust issue. And we, have, we all have life issues. We all have life struggles. And these ultimately come from the fall, for, you know, whether it's a financial or relationships, issues with health, issues with our mental health and our emotions, uh, what is right and wrong or something. We're, we, those, those are big issues. But folks, this sin issue... This is the big one. This is the head gasket on the car. The other ones are the flat tire. It's not that they're not important. This is the big issue we all face as humans. I got sin, and so do you, and I'm telling. Right? It's bad. It's awful. It is dark. Okay? Is, and God's not keeping something from us by having us pursue these other things. Remember who he is. He's the one that gave us his son. Now let's deal with Adam here. I'm going to take a little bit of a bunny trail that I alluded to earlier. So where was he? It's very clear. It says he was right there with Eve. He's hearing this conversation and he did nothing. He's standing there. He's passive. He heard Satan's lie. Wait, why didn't he say, hey, wait, time, time. No, you're wrong, serpent. No, that's a lie. Eve, honey, let's go. Let's go eat of that tree over there. God said we shouldn't. That's good enough for me, Eve. Let's do that. He stood there. He, heard, he, let his, he let Eve take the leave. And then, by the way, after this, he makes excuses. In verse 12, when God confronts him, did you eat of this tree, Adam? He stands like a man and blames his wife. Actually, he also blames God. The man said, the woman who you gave to me, there's a blame to God, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Throws her under the bus. Blames God, blames Eve. Eve was deceived. Eve was deceived. But Adam was defiant. And guys, uh, just again, this is still on the bunny trail. This is still in God's, or Satan's, I should say, arsenal to make guys just stand there. Stand up. Be, be, be willing 
to represent God to your family. You are, guys, you're an image bearer. Your, your wife and your kids are image bearers of God. Lead them in that. Represent him in your family. Show love by leading. Don't be passive. It doesn't mean you're a tyrant at all, but it means that, that you're going to step in when lies are, are brought to your family. And ladies, I, I, you know, it's, I'll tell you, it's easy to do. It's easy to step aside. It's easy to say, I don't want to make waves. I want my kids to like me. I want my wife. I'm just not going to say or do anything that's going to bother them or upset them. I get that. But if your husband's not leading, just so you know, you're not exempt. You can't make an excuse. You then lead. You, or you then follow the Lord yourself. But pray for your husband. Pray for him. Pray for all the guys. And guys, I was this, early this morning, I was Going, kind of going through what I do often in my mental list of because you all kind of sit in the same place and I and I and I pray for you. I was praying for all of us, but specifically for the men, Lord, that we would stand uh, when we need to as well. All right, end a bunny trail because now here are the consequences of, of disobeying this command. Verse seven it says, "And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together." Uh, and made themselves loincloths. So there's a loss of intimacy. They now feel shame. Uh, and since then, we've been doing the same thing. We've been co- covering our own sin and shame. Verse 9, reading along, but the Lord God called to the man and said to them, and this is, this is the most hard to understand little sentence of the Bible for me. Because here's God. Here's the God who knows all things. He says, where are you? And I know what he's doing. I know he's, he's trying to get them to come out. And, and I'm pretty sure he, he knew physically where they were. But see, the relationship with God was broken. They used to walk in the garden together. But now, it's, where are you? Where are you? And he said, that's Adam. I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And we do that. We hide. We don't want other people to know our, about our sins. We, don't, we, we keep them private and secret. But there's a loss of relationship. Sin makes us also kind of dumb. Because where are you going to hide, Adam? God, remember? Where are you going to hide? And several dominoes fall. Right from that chapter, I'm going to summarize them. First of all, God said, look, you're going to die. And as you read through Genesis, especially you get into the genealogies, which I know sometimes we skim over, but it's, and this person was born, and he lived these years, and he died, and he died, and he died, and then a few more, and this person was born, and he died, and then this other guy died, and these other guys, they died. Now, immediately, Adam and Eve didn't die physically, but they died spiritually immediately. And then the day would come where you're going to return to dust, you're, you're physically going to die. That's hanging over everyone. They, they also abandoned their God-given authority, and they gave it to the enemy. Remember, God said, take care of the garden, tend it. Well, they took that, and they handed it off to the prince and power of the air. They're also going to um, suffer decay and corruption. Things are going to start to smell because they're dying. The earth itself is going to be damaged. Other things, like for example, uh, they, they were given tasks, uh, as we saw last week. First of all, fill the earth. You know, ladies have babies, have lots of kids. Well, now they're still going to do that, but it's really going to hurt. 
It's going to be painful. For, for work, he gave them work to do to tend the garden. Well, now that's going to be hard work. That's going to be toil. There's going to be weeds in your garden. There's going to be thorns and thistles. You're going to work and work and work, and you're going to get just a handful of food for it. It's going to be frustrating. If you ever have that experience where even in the best of job, your favorite job you've ever had, and you get up in the morning and you think, I just don't want to go to work. I don't want to deal with it today. You know what that's called? That's called toil. Toil. And so we, um, that's from the fall. We lost all of that. There's some other theologically things that happen. Uh, these aren't included in chapter 3, but let me mention them. First of all, we all will have a sin nature, and, and it's going to rule. It's going to take over. My sweet little grandson, Cade. Cutest little baby ever, right? Right? Yeah, okay. He, um, until we have another baby, then I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> He's only concerned about himself. When's he going to eat? When's he going to get changed? And when's he going to go get another nap? It's all about him. See, that's our sin nature. It's all about us. Uh, and it's going to rule. We have to obey it. Paul says in Romans, we're enslaved to sin. Furthermore, we're going to pass this on. Okay, and guys, I'm sorry, but it seems to be that nature seems to be passed from the father onto the kids. And I believe it's one of the reasons why Jesus was born of a virgin, because he wouldn't get that nature passed on to him that way. Okay? Uh, it, so, so when our kids do things that really annoy us, it's probably because they are doing the same stuff we do. No one is perfect as well. So no human, no parent, no child, no spouse. Everyone has baggage. Now, on one hand, it's good to realize that. It's good not to put someone on that pedestal of perfection and think they have to meet that standard because no one can except for Jesus. But on the other hand, we're also in process. And furthermore, because we all have baggage, because we all have sin, in some way, in some form, we hurt one another. We hurt one another. God gives them grace right from that very day. He closes, closes them. So what's the answer to this very dark problem? To your engine blowing up. Verse 15, there's a hint. God's speaking to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity or friction or just bad relationship between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Here's the key part. He shall bruise your head, Satan, give you a mortal wound, but you'll bruise his heel. It's, it's not in the Gospels, but I do like that scene from the Passion movie where Jesus is praying and a snake comes in and he stomps on it. Again, that, that, that's not recorded in the Gospels, but it's recorded here in Genesis that Jesus, this offspring of Eve, will bring victory over this enemy. He's, as Romans called him, Paul calls him in Romans, the new Adam. That authority that Adam and Eve handed over to the enemy. In Matthew 28, when he appears after the resurrection, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. I got, you, I got it back for you, gang. 
He's called the second Adam. He gives a new life. When someone turns their life over to Christ, they abandon now their old nature and they get a new one. The one that we should have had from the, from the, uh, from the beginning of the world. We are, without Christ, illegitimate orphans. But God says, I adopt you now. If you follow Christ, I am your father, you are my child. We are rescued, we are redeemed, we are restored. We are made brand new in Christ. Yes, we're still in process. But I know if I die today, I will be with him forever. And in the new heaven, new earth, new bodies, new existence, Read the last couple chapters of Revelation and it will describe this entirely new existence. Oh, remember that other tree, the tree of life that we can't get to right now? That, that tree's coming back in Revelation and the new heaven and new earth. It is, it is a time of great hope. This fixes our great problem. The rest of the Bible is God's plan of how he is going to fix our sin. You know, you look at Job. We read the book of Job. There's a reason why the guy never cursed God sitting on a pile of ashes scraping his boils. Because his biggest problem, his need dealing with his sin is dealt with. What do you do with your sin? You call on Jesus. It's an act of faith. And he says, my son, my daughter, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new nature. It starts from the very heart. Not a book of rules to follow. He says, I'll give you a brand new nature that you might be restored back again to where God doesn't say, where are you? He knows where you are. And you know where he is. Let's give a couple more things here in terms of applying this to our life. First of all, just resisting temptation. Remember Eve quoted the scriptures. In his temptation in Matthew 4, Jesus did too. Jesus quoted the scriptures. We have to know the word of God. Psalm 119.9, the author writes, how could a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Be in the Word of God. We've mentioned this before at Zion. Take some time. Read it. Read a chapter a day. Read something. Get into the Bible. Do a, get a, get a Google Bible studies, and you'll get tens of thousands of hits out there. And if you want, if you want recommendations, come see me. Send me a note, and I'll send you some as well. But more importantly than what's published is get into it yourself, even if it's a chapter a day, and think and chew on it as well. Because when we do that, we're able to reject lies. The lies promise to make us happy and fulfilled. The lies say, all you got to do is bow to the God of happy. This will make you happy. But they're lying. And I encourage you as well to consider the consequences when you're tempted. You're going to lose in intimacy with God. Your life will be harder. Sin is going to make your life harder. It makes everyone's life harder. It's going to damage relationships. It might even cost you money. And so I, I often pray for myself is saying, God, show me what the consequences are beforehand. Because, boy, when I'm tempted, it looks like this bright, wonderful, shiny object. And, ooh. And then God says, yeah, but Joe, this is where that leads to you. I go, Ooh, <laughs> I don't want that. 
I don't want those consequences. It's a great prayer in dealing with temptation. And then also, we sin, right? We know, we mess up. When we, when we do so, we need to understand that God's still restoring us. Don't you love the story of the, uh, the prodigal son where he blows his dad's money, he just, he's living like a jerk, and then he comes back, and the father gets up and runs to him. God will discipline, God will work through us, but he's not off pouting and being ticked off because we disobeyed him. He's not like that. In fact, he will himself cleanse us. When God says he cleanses, we have to believe that, not our own feelings, not our own guilt, but that he does the cleansing. You can't do penance. You can't say, God, I'm going to read the Bible like for six hours just to make up for what I did. Don't do that. You don't have to. I mean, you could read the Bible for six hours if you want, but don't think you can add to God's grace and forgiveness. Psalm 51, David wrote this after being confronted by Nathan the prophet about his sin with Bathsheba. And David writes this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to my righteousness, according to my penance, according to my sacrifices I make? No. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And you know what God says? Yes, because I am full of mercy. David says, you wash me, God, thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Uh, New Testament verse, of course, is 1 John 1, 9 with that. And, and if you're still struggling, if there's that one sin, that one issue, whether it's a thought or, or whatever it is, whatever you keep stumbling over, then... God, again, God's given us the Word. He's given you the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given you um, one another. Doesn't mean you're going to stand up here and say, hey, I just have to confess everything that I've been doing. But find those people that you can trust and will be um, uh, willing to be confidential and walk through you in that battle. Chances are, their battle, not chances are, I know they are, they're going through stuff too. And you can mutually help one another. Um, I'm not a big pusher of books, but I've been, I've actually, this is brand new, I just got it. Um, it's called 21 Days of Prayer to Overcome Strongholds by Jim Maxim. Um, I, I started it in January, so I'm right, it, it's easy. I, it's smart, I'm smart enough to say, okay, it's the 15th, so I'm on day 15. It's a little devotional, uh, and then you go online. If, you're, if you have internet access, you go online, and there's a, a kind of additional little teaching. It takes about probably like less than 10 minutes, but boy, has it been good. I've been praying for uh, myself in overcoming that, that again, that this, King James, I think, calls them those besetting sins, those things that kind of keep holding on to you that you're trying to kick off. Uh, it's, it's been an encouragement for me uh, and also praying for others uh, along that lines. And I've actually given a couple copies of these away. But again, 21 days of prayer to overcome strongholds. I'll leave it up here if you wanted to take a photo of it or whatever. I'm assuming it's on, on Amazon as well. 
Folks, the fall is dark. Dark, dark, the darkest thing ever. And we have to, we have to get a grip of our sin, how bad it is. It's not just, oh, whoopsie. Oh, I, I messed up a little bit. It's sin against God. Hate sin, love God. But oh my goodness, is, it, is, is Jesus more than adequate? He covers us. I just thought of the verse to the second. And he says, it's in Romans, I think it's, it's either at the end of chapter 4 or chapter 5, where he says, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. So that means don't try to out-sin the grace of God, just word of advice. But his grace is far greater than anything you've done or even thought. Isn't he incredible? No wonder we're going to sing about that more today. Yes, our sin's dark, but he is light. He is a great light that came into the world. Let's spend some time praying today in our pause and pray. As always, if you'd like to pray out loud, please do. We'll take turns. But let's, let's remember, first of all, that God's word is right and true. And when it comes to temptation, he directs our steps. But let's also make sure we're praising him that we have a new life in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a new life in Christ, even though you have sinned and I have sinned and because of this fall. So pray as you like, and I'll close this off in a little bit. My Lord God, because you are righteous and true. Your, your, your decrees, your word is right and true. And it guides us into all life. And I pray, Lord, that we be people who can recognize uh, that more and more and just, and just feast on what you've given us and directing our steps. And Lord, I grieve over my sin, my shame, my guilt, the things the deep secrets that I don't want anyone else to know about, my selfishness, my self-centeredness. Lord, for um, all that I've done and thought, murderous thoughts, awful things that are just as bad as carrying them out. And Lord, I, I um, am so grateful. God, I am flooded with relief for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for me. And Lord, we, we do not want to consider that or take that in vain and, and brush it aside. But Lord, for the new life, for adopting me as your son. And, and Lord, for all of us who follow Jesus, for all these sons and daughters here. Lord, we want to live according to the new nature that you've given us. And oh, we groan and long for the completion of your work when all all flesh, all physical world is made brand new again. But we thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. You were victorious. You now have all authority. And we want to follow you with every heartbeat we have left. In your name, amen. And as our worship team comes back up, I have just a, a few announcements. Uh, first of all, a little favor today, if uh, after we're done, if you could just hang out for with us. Every, you're all invited. Just a little need to do a little family business uh, meeting right after about five minutes. So I hope you can, you can just stay 
with us. We'll start right after our last song. A uh, couple other things I mentioned before. We're doing something called Walk Through the Bible. If the Old Testament is like a, a great fuzzy idea uh, and you want to uh, uh, get a better hold of it, I strongly encourage this. It is, it is a lot of fun. It's great for families, even little kids. Uh, actually, the kids are probably a lot better at it than adults are. Uh, but you will learn the Old Testament in just uh, one uh, in about four hours. We're meeting at the Clarion Campus. We'll have sign-up information later, but it's March 18th, uh, and we'll have more, uh, again, as we, as we get the sign-up ready. You will learn the Old Testament, and there's a lot of motions and things that go with it. Uh, and so when you're reading in the Old Testament, you'll be able to kind of uh, have, have a skeleton to put the flesh on, so to speak. So I want to mention to you is for that as well. Also, this uh, year we're doing a couple different things for Lent and uh, Good Friday. The Lenten season starts on February 22nd, uh, and I'll be speaking, I just forgot, on the 22nd at, I'll get it to you, sorry, I just, I've been, I was just changing the schedule around. Um, but it'll be Wednesday night, 7 p.m. every Wednesday. Uh, on March 8th, we're going to meet here. Our campus will host, uh, and one of the other pastors of our area will be speaking. So uh, uh, join us for that in each one of them. Um, and there's one Wednesday I'll actually be out of town. Uh, the other thing we're doing is we have the crosswalk that's on Good Friday. School's out that day as well. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll give you all these things just to put them down. We're also doing something new called the, Sat the Saturday after Good Friday. Uh, we're doing a community-wide prayer breakfast. And right now we're hoping it's going to be free. So uh, to be learning about how to pray uh, better and more biblically. And that'll be the Saturday right before Easter as well. Um, I think that's it. Are we ready? <laughs>